0: Let's turn to Matthew chapter 4. When uh, God has a, a purpose for someone, there's a period of testing that takes place first. They have to be prepared for that. And, and the Lord Jesus Christ, you know, Jesus Christ is a unique individual because he's fully man, but he's also fully God. And, uh, you know, those, those two things uh, sometimes can be somewhat contradictory to, to one another. And Jesus Christ as a man had to be prepared for that ministry that he was going to carry out on the earth. And he's, he's tempted here. Uh, in, in, fact, in the, you know, in the book of Hebrews, it says that he was tempted in all points, like as we are, yet without sin. And, uh, what a, what a strange thing to, to contemplate that here is God in human flesh, and, and God's not tempted with evil. Right? Scripture's clear about that. God's not tempted with evil, and yet Jesus Christ was tempted in all points, like as we are. And that doesn't mean that Jesus Christ was tempted with every individual sin that you might be tempted with, right? Uh, That's not the idea there, but He was tempted in every point of His being. And that's what we see here in Matthew chapter 4. In verse 1 it says, Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil? And when He had fasted forty days and forty nights, He was afterward and hungered, And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Verse 5, Then the devil taketh him up into the holy city, and setteth him on a pinnacle of the temple, and saith unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee. And in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. Jesus said unto him, It is written again, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Again the devil taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain, and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them, and saith unto him, All these things will I give thee, if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Then saith Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Then the devil leaveth him, and behold, angels came and ministered unto him. And and so you see, Christ is led out there into the wilderness, and the wilderness is often a, a place of of testing. I uh, remember how the Lord led Israel out into the wilderness. I uh, think about men like like Moses, you know, other men that God took out into the wilderness. John the Baptist himself, you know, where where was he? He was out in the wilderness. And uh, Christ goes. Out there into the wilderness, and he fasts for forty days and forty nights. And in fact, if you if you compare this with other gospel accounts, not only was he not eating, he wasn't drinking for forty days and forty nights. Now, uh, that's not something you or I could physically do. Uh, you can go about three days without water, you can go about three weeks without food, okay? But he goes forty days and forty nights without food or or water. And uh, now. Again, as you know, as God, he would certainly have the power to do that. As a man, that was a very difficult thing for him to do. And what he's doing there for those forty days and forty nights is he's he's just in complete reliance on the Father, even for the most basic of, of physical needs, that need to to eat and to drink. And and he's there in complete reliance on the Father because that's that's the way the Lord Jesus Christ operates all through his ministry, is to do everything with complete reliance on the Father. Okay? And so, so for 40 days and 40 nights, 40, by the way, is a significant number in the Bible. It's, it's a number of, of testing. Uh, again, you think about all the 40s. Uh, you think about Israel being in the wilderness for 40 years, right? These, these different 40s in the Bible. Uh, the, the flood that rained for 40 days and 40 nights. Now, the waters were on the earth for, for uh, much longer than that. But it was 40 days and 40 nights. And for 40 days and 40 nights, he's out there in the wilderness. Uh, not, not eating anything, not drinking anything. Um, you know, we can, we can assume that he was, uh, spending some time, in fact, from, from how he responds to the temptation here, uh, he was no doubt spending time meditating on the Word of God, uh, spending time in, in prayer to God the Father, and, and, uh, just subsisting on, on that, subsisting on those spiritual things. And it's at that time, after 40 days and 40 nights of, of no eating and no drinking, that's when the tempter comes to him. Now, we've all been tempted with various things, but none of us have been tempted in the way that Christ is tempted here. And, and that is that it's the devil himself, it's Satan, it's, it's, uh, you know, that, that anointed cherub who then sinned against God, and who is the, the, uh, father of lies, he's called the Prince of this uh, Prince of the power of the air the God of this world directly comes to Christ and tempts him now when we're tempted you know a lot of times people will talk about temptation and and uh, you know imply that the, the devil tempted them to do something or or whatever most of the time when we're tempted it's just it's just our flesh you don't need some out outward source you don't need uh, some devil or some spirit to come and tempt you to sin you've got a sin nature that Does that all on its own? Now that said, you can certainly see places in the Bible where where you know evil spirits were used, those those you know rebellious spirits were used to to tempt men in various ways. But it's very rare that you see the devil himself coming to to tempt somebody. I think it's pretty safe to say that none of us here have ever been tempted by the devil. Okay, where Satan himself came and 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 you know. Tempted us to do something. And here in this temptation, Satan himself is, is there with Christ, speaking with Christ, tempting him to do some things. And and the first thing you might imagine after 40 days not eating and drinking, uh, the very first temptation is that the, the devil says, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. Now, it, it's interesting the things that Satan uses here to tempt The Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't, uh, bring, you know, bring some beautiful woman before him and tempt him in that way. He doesn't tempt him to steal something. Really, where, where he's tempting him is he's tempting him in his, his power and position that he holds as the Son of God. Now, rest assured, there's no doubt in Satan's mind who Jesus Christ is. There's no doubt in his mind that he is the Son of God. Right? I mean, he, as, as one of those angelic hosts, he would have known uh, the Lord Jesus Christ long before his incarnation he knows who he is uh, but he but he uh, you know he couches these temptations in those terms if thou be the Son of God if you're really the Son of God use this power that you have now here's the Lord Jesus Christ the scripture says that all things are made by him right he made the stones. certainly if he wants to remake them into some bread he has the power to do that he has he has the power to do that and to to uh, uh, take care of his hunger that has been building there for 40 days and 40 nights. And, you know, there, it, it would be hard to see that as some kind of outright sin against God. But what, what Satan is trying to get Christ to do, let's look at a, a couple of verses here. Go, you know, put a mark here in Matthew chapter 4. Go over to uh, John chapter 14. Actually, you can, get, you can get John chapter 5 and John chapter 14. And we'll go to John 14 first of all. John chapter fourteen. and let's just start in start in verse six, John fourteen six, a very familiar verse. Jesus Christ says, uh, verse six, Jesus saith unto him, "I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me." And he'd been talking about here how he was going to go away and uh, how how uh, the as he's speaking here to the disciples, to to these believers, that they were going to to go where He was going to go. And they're asking Him about, we don't know where you're going to go. We don't know the way. Uh, And He says, I'm the way, the truth and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by Me. Verse 7, if ye had known Me, ye should have known My Father also. And from henceforth ye know Him and have seen Him. Now, the Lord Jesus Christ is the second member of the Godhead. He is not God the Father. He is fully God. But He's not God the Father. right? He's He's the Son. He's the Son of God. And yet, God's design in Christ's uh, incarnation was for him to be a a perfect representation of who the Father was. And so, the Lord Jesus Christ, in, in that incarnation, he has this close relationship with the Father where everything he does and says reflects who the Father is, so that when you're dealing with the Lord Jesus Christ, you are dealing with God the Father. And that's why he can say that no man cometh to the Father but by Him. You can't know anything about the Father but by Jesus Christ. And here he says that from here forward, he says, you, you know Him, you know the Father, and you've seen Him. He says, if, if you'd known me, you should have known my Father also. If you know Christ, you know the Father. If you don't know Christ, you don't know the Father. And and uh, verse 8, Philip you know, the disciples, as they often were, they're completely confused by what he's saying here. Philip saith unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. But what he was just saying was, if you see me, you know, he's saying, that's how you know the Father. And and Philip says, well, just just show us the Father. Um, you know, you think about, uh, for instance, how uh, uh, Moses had asked to see the glory of God. And, he wasn't really. He was kind of allowed to see a glimpse of the glory of God, but uh, God the Father is described as being the invisible God. And God in, in His glory, the Scripture says, no man could could look on Him and live, right? Because we're in a we're in a sinful state, and that holiness of God would just would just uh, consume any sinful man who who tried to look upon God. But Philip says, "Show us the Father, and it suffices us. That, that's that's enough. That's all. That's all we want. Just show us the Father." And uh, Jesus saith unto him, and sometimes, sometimes you can almost, as you read these words of Christ, you can almost kind of, kind of imagine maybe some of the, maybe not so much disappointment, but kind of frustration sometimes with the disciples. And he says, Have I been so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? You know, I mean, we've been here together for a while, don't you, don't you get this yet, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father, and how sayest thou then, show us the Father? Believest thou not that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father in me, or else believe me for the very works' sake. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also. And he says, greater works than, than these shall he do because I go unto my Father. And you see what he says. He says, the, the words that I'm speaking to you, what he's saying here is he's saying these aren't just my words. I'm not somebody separate from the Father that's, that's saying, you know, there's the Father over there. I'll, I'll show you the Father. He says, the, God the Father is in me and the, works, the, the words that I say are from the Father and the works that I do, it's the Father doing those works in me. Okay, that's that, that relationship there between Christ And God the Father. Go back to uh, chapter 5 of John. John chapter 5. Verse 30. As Christ describes the His ministry and again that relationship between Himself and the Father in that ministry. He says in John chapter 5 verse 30, I can of mine own self do nothing. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not mine own will, but the will of the Father which hath sent me. And so Jesus Christ lived His life in in really the way that we're called to live our lives as believers, in that He lived His life in complete dependence on the Father, and He didn't do anything without the Father. There, there's no word that Christ speaks that is somehow independent of the Father. Uh, The closest you would get would be something like when he's in the garden before his crucifixion, and he prays to the Father that if this cup could pass from him, right? but he says, not my will, but thine be done, and even there, he he indicates he has a a will that is separate from the will of the Father, but he subjects his will to the will of God the Father. Okay, And that's how Jesus Christ lived his, his entire life. Now, if we go back to our text and we see how the devil is tempting Christ here, what he's tempting him to do is to step out and act independently from that will of the Father. That's what he's doing. He's saying, use this power that you have independently of what the Father would have you to do. Command these stones to be made bread. You have this, this, this hunger. You have uh, this physical need. And you have a power to fulfill that need. Now certainly, you know, certainly there would be no sin. If you're hungry, there's no sin in using the power you have to go and, and, you know, make sure your body is fed. But for the Lord Jesus Christ here, the devil is saying, hey, use this power that you have to step out independently from, from the will of the Father and just meet that physical need that you have. And the Lord Jesus Christ responds in the way that we ought to respond to temptation. You know, Scripture says that the Lord won't uh, allow us to be tempted uh, above what we're able, but He'll make a way of escape. And the Lord Jesus Christ here has a way of escape. And what that way of escape is is to take the focus off of his, His flesh, which has very real needs, and to put the focus on the things of God's Word. And so in all of these instances, when the devil tempts the Lord Jesus Christ, the way he responds is by quoting Scripture. And uh, there's three temptations here and three responses by Christ. Uh, it's interesting that all of the Scripture he quotes is found in a single book of the Bible. All of the, the verses that he uses to respond to the devil are found in the book of Deuteronomy. Uh, here in, in Matthew 4, verse 4, he's quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. Uh, verse 4 says, He answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. And you see, that's what that's what he had been doing for those 40 days and 40 nights. That's how he had been living for those 40 days and 40 nights. He had been subsisting on the Word of God. And and here he says, you know, man doesn't live by bread alone, uh, but it's by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. If, if we were to go back and look at that verse in Deuteronomy, actually, let's do that. Go back to Deuteronomy 8. Deuteronomy chapter 8. And verse, start in verse 1. If you're familiar with the book of Deuteronomy, the, the name of the book, Deuteronomy, has the idea of the second law. And it is a, it's a recap of the law just before Israel uh, goes into the promised land. right? So you have the, you have the law given in, in uh, Exodus and, and Leviticus and Numbers. Deuteronomy is restating a lot of those things. In a lot of ways, you could say that the book of Deuteronomy is the, is the primary book of doctrine for Israel in the Old Testament. I would be to them what the book of Romans or, or maybe the book of Ephesians might be to us. Okay, If you wanted to know, if you wanted guidance about how you should live your life in the Old Testament, you'd go back and read the book of Deuteronomy. And here in Deuteronomy chapter 8, Verse 1, it says, All the commandments which I command thee this day shall ye observe to do, that ye may live and multiply and go in and possess the land which the Lord sware unto your fathers. And thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee these forty years in the wilderness to humble thee and to prove thee to know what was in thine heart, whether thou wouldest keep His commandments or no. Now, uh, Israel was forty years in the wilderness. Here Christ has been forty days and forty nights in the wilderness. And verse 3 says, And he humbled thee and suffered thee to hunger and fed thee with manna, which thou knewest not, neither did thy fathers know, that he might make thee know that man doth not live by bread only, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the the Lord doth man live. You know, all that that the Lord did with Israel back there in the wilderness was to teach them to live in dependence on him. And and they were, you know, even their, their daily food that they ate, they went out, they gathered up the manna, and you know there was there was no security for them in that except in the lord because they couldn't gather any extra they couldn't store up the manna and say you know hey we need to be thinking about next week and next month and next year and let's let's uh, you know store this up so we're safe they had to rely on the lord that every day that manna was going to come because if they tried to store it up remember it went bad and it, it stunk and the only time they could store any up was on the day before the sabbath and then they could You know, store up enough to get through the Sabbath and then, and then it would go bad. And they had to live in just daily dependence on the Lord. That was a lesson He was teaching them there. He allowed them to hunger, it says there in verse 3, He suffered thee to hunger and He fed them with manna so that they would understand some things about how, how their very existence proceeded from the Lord. And, uh, uh, Christ quotes that verse. Now, uh, of course you know, That the Lord Jesus Christ later describes himself as being the manna that came down from heaven, the bread that came from heaven. And, and spiritually, that's, you know, that's how, that's how we, uh, feed ourselves spiritually, is we feed upon the Lord Jesus Christ by faith, by coming to God's Word, and, and you can't be healthy, you can have a, you know, you can't have a healthy physical life without Eating the right foods, you can't have a healthy spiritual life without a daily intake of the Word of God. It just doesn't work. And and so Christ quotes that verse. Now you might want to put a mark there in Deuteronomy because we'll come back and and look at some of those other verses. But go to our, go back to our text in Matthew four. Matthew chapter four. And so that that first attempt thereby Satan to, to get Christ again to step out on his own, to use this power that he has for you know not not to fulfill the will of God the Father, but to fulfill the, the will of his human flesh and the needs of his human flesh, it fails. And it fails because Christ relies on what the Word of God says rather than what his his flesh is telling him and rather than what Satan is telling him. Matthew chapter four verse five, then the devil taketh him up into the holy city and setteth him on a pinnacle of the temple, and saith unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down, for it is written, he shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against the stone. Now here's an interesting thing, because you know the devil comes first of all and tries to get Christ to fulfill his flesh. He responds with Scripture. Now the devil comes back with Scripture. Right? The the devil says it's it's written it's written that uh that the Lord is going to give his angels charge concerning you they're going to protect Christ you know Christ often talked about his his hour speaking of the hour of his his crucifixion and you know there were there were periods of time for instance where uh, the disciples were worried that somebody was going to kill Christ and, and he would tell you know my hour is not yet come uh, Christ was nothing was going to happen to him. Before it was God's plan for something to happen to him. And so, uh, the, you know, here it describes the, the angels having this charge concerning Christ. Uh, the devil there is quoting from Psalm 91, which is a, a passage that, that would have some application to, to uh, Israel, uh, but certainly to the Lord Jesus Christ himself and that protection that the Lord would provide for him until it was the right time for him to, to do what he came into the world to do, which was to die on the cross for the, the sins of mankind. Uh, and, and certainly you know, Christ would have known that passage and would have relied on that passage and had faith in it. But what the devil is telling him to do is the devil is saying, why don't, why don't you see if it's really true? Right, We're up here on the pinnacle of the temple we're up here on this pinnacle where if you were to, to throw yourself down, you would certainly die. Why don't you just see if it's true? Just throw yourself off. He's told you know, nothing's gonna happen to you. The angels are gonna are gonna protect you. Right? Again, it's it's this attempt to, to get him to to step out of doing the will of the Father. I mean, can you imagine if if you had a promise like that that you knew was true of you, would you put it to the test? Would you say, hey, that'd be that'd be kind of neat, right? I mean, jump off a, a high building and know you're gonna be Caught by an angel and, and, uh, it's not gonna hurt you. That'd be a neat thing. That might be some kind of fun to test out. But the Lord doesn't have any need to test that out. In fact, He, He, uh, uh, responds again with Scripture. In verse 7, Jesus said unto Him, It is written again, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. And, he could know that that promise was true and not have to put it to the test to see if it really was or or to somehow satisfy uh, some fleshly desire to, to see if it was really going to happen. He didn't have to assure himself of that in that way because he knew the Word of God was true. Uh, you know, some sometimes uh, in talking about, in trying to define faith, uh, especially in evangelism, people will use this, this illustration of a, of a chair, you know, and they'll say, it's one thing to say, I know that chair will hold me up, and it's another thing to, to actually sit down in the chair. Well, in this case, you know, using that analogy, Christ doesn't have to sit down in the chair, right? I mean, he's got absolute confidence in it. Uh, you know, Scripture says we walk by faith, not by sight. And what the devil's trying to get Christ to do here is to say, okay, take that thing that you believe and actually put some sight to it. Actually see if it's going to come to pass. And, uh, you know, it's... In some ways that analogy of, of the chair kind of breaks down as well, uh, when you when you think about it. But uh we walk by faith, not by sight. And Christ here can walk by faith. He doesn't have to have some demonstration of the fact that the Lord has protected him to believe it and, and know and just, you know, go on with his ministry, uh, knowing that the Lord is going to be faithful to that promise. Now here the the uh quote in Matthew four, verse seven is from Deuteronomy. Chapter six and let's go back and, and look at that verse Deuteronomy chapter six. The quote is from verse sixteen. Uh, again here you know Deuteronomy six is a is a uh, a very important passage of Old Testament scripture. Uh, the Lord here is is warning Israel regarding his commandments and you have in Deuteronomy chapter six verse four. It says, "Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy might." And and uh, that that statement in verse four, "Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord." You know that uh, observant Jews uh, they they refer to that as the Shema, and that's one of the, the Hebrew words there in the passage, and they you know they consider that one of the most important passages of Scripture. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And certainly certainly, when you're, you're in the midst of a bunch of cultures that worship all kinds of different false gods, to say the Lord our God is one God, uh, is one Lord, uh, is, a, is an important statement. Verse 5 is the passage that Christ refers to as the greatest commandment. That thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might. And Chapter Six then goes on to describe to the Israelites how they have this responsibility to take these things and teach them to their children and just immerse themselves with the Word of god to to write it on the on the gateposts and on the doorposts and to talk about the things of the Word of God all the time. There's some great this practical instruction there for how how believers ought to uh you know be be engaging their their families especially with the Word of God and just to have it. Around all the time. And it's in it's in that uh in that context, you come down to verse fourteen, it says, You shall not go after other gods of the gods of the people which are round about you, for the Lord thy God is a jealous God among you, lest the anger of the Lord thy God be kindled against thee and destroy thee from off the face of the earth. And it says, Ye shall not tempt the Lord your God as ye tempted him in Massah. And, you know, you have all these examples of Israel in the wilderness, how they were testing the Lord God. The idea here in tempting the Lord thy God is not so much the idea of trying to get God to sin. You know, the word tempt is used in two different ways in the Bible. Uh, the way we most often think of is a, a solicitation to sin or a solicitation to evil. To be tempted in the sense that, uh, you know, you're either either your own flesh or, or something is trying to get you to do something evil. But the word tempt is often used in the sense of testing as well. And that's the idea there is that they, you don't need to test God. And so Israel in, in the wilderness, in the context here, there were all these times where they started to doubt whether God was really going to provide for them. And so they wanted these these signs from God. They, they tested God in that way. And here it says don't do that. You know, don't don't tempt. The Lord your God as He tempted him in, in Massa as they did out there in the, in the wilderness. And then verse 17 says, you shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God and his testimonies and his statutes which he hath commanded thee. And, and so you see the Lord Jesus Christ demonstrating that here. He doesn't need to put God to the test. He doesn't need to see whether that promise is true. He has such absolute faith in it. It, it, it doesn't have to, it doesn't have to be tested. Hi, I'm Richard Church, the teacher here on Verse by Verse. I'm glad you've listened to our podcast today, and I would like to let you know that if you have any questions about anything you've heard here, you can contact me by email at richard at or by telephone 608-339-9522. I also encourage you to check out our church website at www.friendshipbiblechurch.com.